I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. I read somewhere, I think it was in an Atlantic article, someone described becoming a mother as walking into a new room in the house you've been living in. And I think that's really apt, just like discovering a piece of myself that I guess was there, but I was completely out of touch with. That is Emily Leslie. Emily is a Mormon, a mother of three, and a working professor. And she's also one of my sister's oldest friends from Iowa City. And faith has always been a driving force in Emily's life. Her dad was a leader in the local Mormon community. And I remember my sister always talking about how much time Emily spent practicing her faith. She would go to seminary classes every morning before school started in high school. And so I followed Emily over the years through stories from my sister and on Facebook and watched as she got married, had three children, and earned a PhD. So she joins us in this episode to talk about managing all of those things. Here's Emily. I did always imagine myself as a stay-at-home mom after I had kids. I know that I told people that in high school, sometimes they were a little bit horrified, but, you know, from a... From my faith perspective, we believe that families, our family relationships are not just something that we exist during this life, but are perpetuated forever after we die. And so that enhances, I guess, the importance of uh, investing in family relationships and really reinforces the motivation to put family first. Um, And it's also true that a lot of the teachings and messaging in the church about women have centered on their role as mothers and that being kind of their central and most important uh, set of responsibilities in this life. So um, that was definitely very formative for me in terms of what I was trying to accomplish with my life and the way that I envisioned what adulthood would look like for me, that context was important. And honestly, in our high school, to tell people that I was going to be a stay-at-home mom was like kind of countercultural in the context of my little like West High AP student culture pocket. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I think I got a little bit of a kick out of putting it out there, although it was not at all disingenuous. But um, I think it satisfied a little of my teenage desire to, like, (laughs) you know, establish myself as an individual, as weird as that may sound. 
So going, I mean, having that attitude in high school of sort of projecting this image of saying you want to be a stay-at-home mom, yet being incredibly smart and in all of these AP classes and very much geared toward uh, a track of professional success, did that ever feel incongruous to you or did it ever feel limiting? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, it did feel, I mean, I think the way that I approached planning my life for the most part before I had children was, I don't know when I'll get married. I don't know for sure that I will get married. I mean, I wanted to, but, you know, I didn't know. So I just kind of compartmentalized. I was like, I'm just going to do all of my school and my career planning as if family was not a part of it, because I don't know when it will come in. And it's kind of impossible to incorporate this unpredictable thing. I thought a lot about you know, family life. And I tried to make time for relationships that I thought were promising, but I decided I would just pursue, make the choices for school and work that I would make as if I was going to be working for the rest of my life. So tell us about when you found out that you were going to have your first child. Oh, gosh. So the compartmentalizing kind of went both ways. Like I didn't really think I didn't incorporate kids into my school work plans. And I also didn't incorporate school work into family planning. So, you know, the summer before grad school, we'd been married a year and we were like, yeah, let's, we both just started to feel like we wanted to have kids. I mean, I hadn't really felt that desire. I just sort of had thought in my mind that I would eventually want to have children, although I didn't really have the desire to be pregnant. But then I really started to feel like I wanted to have a baby. And I think about five minutes after we decided that I got pregnant. Um, <laughs> it was just like so fast. And I, I took the pregnancy test literally the night before my classes started, my first year of grad school. And just like, okay, you know, buckle up. What, so, what did you think? I was happy. I mean, I was really happy because, like I said, we were trying to have kids. I had stopped taking birth control, so it was not an accident. I was also terrified, although, to be honest, if I had understood more about pregnancy and childbirth, I probably would have been even more terrified. But, oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> you know, when I told my classmates I was pregnant, first they didn't. They thought I was joking. I was like, no, here's my ultrasound. And then they were like, oh, this is why you snack all the time. <laughs> I would literally be like, I snacked constantly throughout all of our classes because I felt nauseated. So I was nervous about it at first, and I got a little more nervous about it, you know, as it got closer. But actually the thing, like emotionally, that was hardest for me was that I was deciding whether I would stay in graduate school. Because I was like, all right, uh, I've compartmentalized and I didn't opt out of grad school, even though I thought we'd want to start a family. Now we're starting a family and I need to think about whether I want to keep doing this after I have a baby. And that was really the hardest thing for me to figure out what I wanted to do because suddenly my you know, vision of what kind of mother I was going to be was running into this sort of plan that I'd set in motion for myself mm. uh, professionally. And so how so, how did you decide? I I talked to Russell a lot, although to be honest to you, it's like 
I'm totally supportive of whatever you want to do. He was not, which, I mean, I did not think it would be unreasonable for him to express more of a preference because, you know, it's our children, and he can have feelings about the environment that they grow up in. Um, So that made it, I mean, that was nice, but didn't necessarily simplify the decision-making. I read like a million things that leaders in my church had said about having babies and working in motherhood, which to be honest was not very illuminating um, because it's just, it, it evolves over time as do our cultural values. And so there are some common threads, but it's hard to extract a consistent message. So I think I was really, what I was really looking for was someone to tell me what to do. Hmm. Like I wanted Russell to tell me what to do. I wanted my church to tell me what to do. I wanted to find some woman who is like a replica of me 10 years later to tell me what to do. And of course that person does not exist. And, um, I prayed a lot about it and can't say that I ever, I came very close to dropping out of school. One thing though, that was really instrumental in me continuing was that we lived close to my mom and my mom said, I will, watch your babies while you're in school. I'd be happy to watch a baby for you. And she and my dad, even though they had kind of a traditional configuration when I was growing up, were both very, very, I think they really wanted me to keep going. They thought that I had something to offer and they wanted me to be fulfilled. And so knowing that my mother was available to take care of my baby and in the absence of some obvious answer from another source, I decided I would keep going kind of and just try it and see, you know, keep going until it stopped working, basically. That's a lot to be processing and dealing with when you are on the one hand growing a human (laughs) in your body and also trying to succeed in a, a new graduate program. Oh, yeah. It it was, I mean, there were many, many tears, <laughs> for sure. But one thing, my um, the bishop of my ward, which is kind of like the leader of my local congregation, um, he and his wife were such great mentors for us. Um, he was a professor in the business school, which is great because that's where my department was, and his wife was my pediatrician growing up and was just such a great person. I mean, they were so wonderful. Anyway, he very wisely told me, whatever you decide right now, it's not going to resolve the ambiguity for the rest of your life. Hmm. You're going to have to confront these ambiguous questions over and over again. So don't assume that you can just decide now and that will set you up forever. Mm -hmm. You know, you're going to revisit, you're going to go through this process again and again. And he was so right. So when you, um, when you made that decision to stay in school, how did your narrative of an ideal motherhood shift? I think I really, at that point, is when I started taking things like six months at a time. And so it was more like, am I being the mother that I want to be to my children right now, as opposed to do I have a vision of the mother I'm going to be for the next 
20 years, Hmm. you know. So I think I sort of just became a little more oriented toward the present, which I think is actually really good in general, psychologically. Um, I think the other thing that I did was basically say, this is the amount of time I'm comfortable working on school stuff, and I'm just going to do as much as I can in that time. And if I can't be successful, then I will drop out of my program. So I preferred that to giving my program as much time as it needed, and then my child, whatever, was left over. Um, Now, of course, I had the luxury of doing that because my husband was on track to have a career that would support us. So I had the the luxury of saying, oh, I can just stop this if I want to. And a lot of people don't have that luxury. So, you know, I just want to acknowledge that I know that there's a lot of privilege that um, expanded the options I had. And I try not to take that for granted. I just have this sadness about women feel, and I am sometimes this person, but less than I used to be, just feeling like what's wrong with me that I can't do everything. And whoever we see that seems to be, who seems to have it all, like there's a trade-off they're making for the arrangement that they have. And I wish that we didn't forget that sometimes when we talk about women and the things that we want to do. There are a lot of different strands of the Mormon faith, but for the most part, Emily and her peers are influenced by the cultural norms of the Mountain West Mormons, and most women in that community are stay-at-home mothers. So Emily's made some choices as a Mormon woman that really go against the grain. I think there is a very strong strain of traditionalism in terms of families and um, most mothers that I know who have young children who are Mormon are stay-at-home moms. Um, but at the same time, I have not had anyone say anything to me that was negative about the choices that I'm making and everyone that I have had my own firsthand conversations with about my career choices has been encouraging and supportive. Um But I think what I miss a little bit is, like, the practical advice side of things that, you know, for in terms of, like, nurturing children, the Mormon women I know are a wealth of information. I mean, I know so many amazing moms who have given me advice on how to deal with different phases of child development and child behavior and who have such a beautiful perspective on mothering because of their faith. And I I miss that on the professional side of my life a little bit. Um, But, you know, I think there's definitely more of it, and there are support communities forming um, that really inspire me and uplift me and I think help other Mormon women find like-minded people to help them. I might be sugarcoating that. Well, I'm not trying to sugarcoat it. I guess what I should say is I know that there are Mormon women who have encountered people who are very resistant to their decisions to work outside the home um, when their husbands are providing, you know, let the husband provide and you stay home. I just personally have not had those conversations with anyone. 
Do you feel like the Mormon faith is evolving in a way that it is more open to multiple narratives about what a family structure can look like? I do. I do think that. Um, like, we do believe in um, revelation from God and that our leaders are inspired. But I also think, you know, we don't believe that our leaders are infallible. And, you know, the way that we perceive the world and I think also the way that we interpret our interactions with God are come through the lens of our cultural context and our personal experiences. And, and that's true for everyone, including the leaders of my church. So, you know, their humanity is beautiful and sometimes maybe difficult, but um, all Mormon women belong to a women's organization called the Relief Society. And there's a like a general Relief Society president who's the head of the whole women's organization, and the one who was in when I was in college, her name was Julie Beck. And I remember hearing her say that women would often ask her whether or not it was okay for them to work outside the home. And she said she thought that's the wrong question. The question you need to ask is whether you are aligned with God's vision of you and what he needs you to do and kind of the responsibilities that he wants you to take on. Um, So I think that's a much more flexible framing of thinking about your decision-making than just this is what, you know, a righteous woman looks like. It's really an introspective question that is very personal between you and God. And I think my religion has sometimes complicated the way that I feel about my decisions, and sometimes it also gives me greater clarity about what is important to me and how to think about what I'm doing. And how how does that manifest? So how do you work through that? Um, w- deciding whether my life is yes. aligned with what God wants for me? Yes. Gosh, that's definitely a million-dollar question. <laughs> Uh, one thing about Mormon theology is that we think our free, our freedom to choose things is really important. Um, and I've sort of come to think that, you know, God doesn't want to be too heavy handed in our lives because he wants to let us make decisions and learn from them and also to give us space to kind of see what kind of people we want to become. So I haven't necessarily felt clear instructions at every step of what I should do. I definitely have not felt that way, but I have felt when I look in retrospect that I can see how he has helped me along the way bring things together that I couldn't have done for myself. And when I reflect on that, I feel encouraged that he's helping me to go down a path because he's okay with it if that makes any sense. You know, at the same time, I've certainly had, I have many, many times when I have felt like a failure as a mother because I've lost my temper with my children or whatever. Um, I have said many prayers where I said, you know, I would rather fail out of graduate school and not have a temper. Hmm. Like if I could make that trade, I would make it. Um, but, you know, we don't get to make those choices. I guess what I'm saying is I don't think God just, like, makes everything come together beautifully in everyone's lives, because um, obviously he does not do that. 
But I think if he has something that he wants you to accomplish, that he has to facilitate that for you, especially if it's sort of beyond your natural abilities. Mm-hmm. And I have felt that in my own experience of, you know, trying to nurture my children with my husband and also trying to foster a career. Yeah. How have your children impacted your spirituality? Well, I think I understand better how God feels about me because of how I feel about them. And Mormons pray to a male God, but we do believe that we have a heavenly mother as well. And I take a lot of, like, that becomes more meaningful to me as I am, you know, the mother of physically of some children. And I see how my children, there are things that are so upsetting to them. And I understand why they are upset, but I also understand that I can't give them what they want all the time. And I think there is a lot of that in the way that God interacts with us, that there are things that are very hard for us and painful. And God doesn't like to see us sad, but also he has a perspective that we don't have. And his purposes aren't to make us unhappy, but sometimes, you know, being a good parent doesn't mean indulging your children in everything that they want. What do you turn to in those moments, sort of in the middle of the night, when you're exhausted and you're trying to pass your comps or your kids are driving you crazy and your temper is flaring up? Do you have a a mantra or is there anything that you turn to internally to sort of recenter, refocus, give you clarity? Um, I mean, I don't always handle the situations well. <laughs> so, uh, I don't have a consistent strategy that I always use and that always works. But I think the most successful thing that I've found is to to focus on gratitude and to, you know... I have more than I need. I always have had more than I need. That's not true for everyone, but I feel like when I let myself get overwhelmed by things not coming together well or me not being quite, you know, the person I want to be yet, that I'm losing sight a little bit of everything that is going well and also becoming a little bit ungrateful like I want things to work together so smoothly and in so many ways they are already doing that Um, and I think I try to remember not to be so inward focused on things working how I want them to and everything being just right for me but to think about what I have in relation to what I can offer to people around me Um, whether that's my children or my husband or my students or other people in my community who um, need things that I have. So when I have that orientation, then I don't feel overwhelmed by whatever it is in my life that isn't quite what I, you know, what ideally want.
That's Emily Leslie. She lives in Utah, where she works in the econ department of Brigham Young University. Emily, thank you so much for sharing your story. And that is the second part of our look at motherhood this season. And we're going to leave you with some reflections from our own moms. So Anita and I were a little scared to ask this question because we didn't want to get their hopes up. We don't know if or when we're going to be moms, but we wanted to ask our mothers what kind of moms they thought we would be. Here they are. I think you would be a fabulous mother, and I think that's because you're such a wonderful person. You have an openness about you which would serve you very well and any children you would have very well. I would want you to be less hard on yourself than I might have been when I started out, but I think you would be a terrific mother. I just know that. You know, this sounds kind of crazy, but my sister said to me very early on in a family group, a large family group, that she thought I was going to be a fabulous mother, and that really meant something to me, and I'll say the same thing to you. Thank you, Mom. But I also know that because you work at things, and you think about things. And I think that has a lot to do with being a good parent. You're not always going to get it right. Heavens knows, I certainly didn't and still don't. But you try. Um, I'll give you all the qualities of you, I think, why you'd be a good mom. You're very intelligent. You're extremely well-educated. You're motivated when you do something. You're focused. You plan. You're very intuitive. You're extremely supportive of your family. You're balanced. You're loving. You're kind. You're caring. You're amazing. So I think for all of those reasons, you'd be a very good mom. Well, thanks, Mom. (laughs) Maybe I will. Maybe I won't be. We'll see. We'll see. (laughs) Keep this down documented, and I'll, I'll judge you at the time. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.